When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi there, and welcome to a brand new season of Scout the Game Week. Scout the Game Week is a fantasy football scout weekly podcast brought to you by the Scout Network. In each episode, we'll look back at the game week we've just played to assess what we can learn and help us in the next round of fixtures. I'm Sam from FPL Family. Let's Scout the Game Week. This week, I'm joined by FPL Reactions, who is also known as Lewis. Lewis, thanks so much for joining me today. How's pre-season going for you? Firstly, Sam, it's, it's a pleasure to be here because obviously we've, I've, we've talked pre-record and I said I was really, I was quite obsessed in a way with these <laughs> sort of scout the game weeks and I really enjoyed them and I thought one day I'm going to be recording one of them with Sam, so here we are and, and yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. In terms of pre-season, it's actually been really interesting in, in, in that things that have been changing every day you know mm. signings injuries and just a lot of a lot of drama in, in general and not knowing if we're going to get any more big money moves you know like i, I don't imagine this but kane um <laughs> holland lukaku um just just a, a big signing that mm. could quite simply rip up the drafts that we've made and i think being primarily on twitter for me you see people constantly tinkering and changing yeah. the drafts i mean it, there's even some bandwagons uh, starting to grow from absolutely nothing so I'm sort of in that phase where I'm, I'm really active I'm sort of being very careful about what I take in in terms of pre-season anyway. This pre-season does feel like one it feels like it's it's been over in the blink of an eye I think because we had the Euros earlier on and the Copa America of course that seemed to have taken a large chunk away from kind of the off-season yeah. and then going into pre-season so it seems to have come upon us quite quickly Plus, of course, we've still got players away at the Olympics because the football's still going on over there. So it feels mm. a bit chaotic at the moment, but I absolutely am here for it. I'm here for the chaos that's kind of going on. I'm loving all of these random rumours. And, and last year, I think we had some, didn't we? We had the kind of messy to city stuff that was going on yeah. for a while, but it never really had much grounding. Whereas the rumours that we're having this time around... They actually have grounding, like you can see them happening. Like I'm not sure about Harlem, but you know Chelsea now being linked with Lukaku, you could see it happening. So it's it, yeah. it doesn't feel too out there, and that's as you say does make it complicated for game week one because of course the transfer window is still going to be open beyond our deadline. So it's doing drafts, but also thinking about do I want to keep some money? 
Do I want to have Kane money in the bank? Do I want to have other money that's available? Do I want a player that's kind of a holding player that will be there for game week one, maybe game week two, but knowing I can move them on. Mm. We've obviously got new additions to the Premier League. We don't know how they're going to start. So it's all interesting at the moment. And obviously yeah. for us doing this recording normally on Scout the Game Week, we would start by looking back at the game week that we've just played. But of course, the last game week was a relatively long time ago now. So no point kind of looking back to game week 38. So this time I kind of want to have a little look at what's been happening in pre-season um, in terms of players who have entered the league as new signings or on loan moves, as well as those who have shown really good form over the course of the summer break, be it at the Olympics, be it at Copper America, be it at the Euros, or be it just in pre-season friendlies with their teams. Because of course, those players, the ones that have had the whole pre-season are maybe the ones that we should be targeting most because they've had a bit of a rest and they've been back with their squads for the whole of pre-season. So let's start with new signings. Players that have come into the league, anyone that you think is interesting for us as an FPL manager to be looking at? Yeah, I, I feel like obviously there's been already quite a few big signings in, in, in line with the fixtures that the teams have got to start the season off. We obviously know number one for me it has to be Wendia. So mm. we obviously know that Wendia came from Norwich and Villa were quite uh, aggressive as soon as the transfer market opened in terms of we want Wendia. And quite strange actually, because obviously Norwich just got promoted. So it's like, how is he feeling about moving from? But priced at six. 0.5 million. I, I feel like that's an okay price considering he played in the Premier League before. We sort of know what he's about. He played predominantly on the right, but he can also play on the left, the number 10 role. He's, he's, he's quite versatile. So in, in, in terms of as an asset, he feels like the asset you'd want. So just an all-around great player. So in the 39 games he played last season, he scored 15 and he assisted mm. 16. The total, that's 31 goal contribution in 39 games. So it's amazing uh, in terms of balance though it's it's great because he's sort of equaling the the goal threat to the creativity which is similar to i'm not saying he's on par with bruno but he's that sort of player that can create and also score what do you think about wendy so i actually really really like villa i love them from a defensive standpoint i think what we saw from martinez last season was phenomenal the defence in front of him were great, both for their clean sheet potential, but also for their attacking threat that they they had too. Majority of them getting at least a couple of goals or a couple of assists over the course of the season. So, you know, you're not a huge attacking output in the same way that we maybe would get from Trent, but enough for mm. their price point. So you couple that and the security that they offer in terms of clean sheet potential with the attacking players in Buendia, who I think is just quality i remember watching him in 1920 the last time he played in the premier league thinking what a talent it's a shame that you are playing in a norwich team that's struggling because yeah. they had a really tough time of it when they were in the premier league last time around i don't think they'll have quite as bad a time of it this time around because i think they know a bit more as to what they're expecting because there's a lot of the same players coming back up with them this time around yeah but they will struggle now without buendia and i think he's a fantastic game for aston villa now if it looks like Grealish is going to go now with fair amount of certainty. But I do think that what they've done by gaining Buendia and Bailey is, is create a front three that look 
really solid and real has yeah. real potential. And at six point five million, they're cheap. They're sort of at the bottom end of the mid price bracket, really. They're the sort of ones that you could afford to have a couple in your FPL teams. And of course, they're in with the likes of of Saar, who also looks like a good bet, by the way. For me, Buendia, I really like those first three fixtures in particular yeah, for Aston really Villa are so good. So yeah, I'm I'm fully on board the Buendia bandwagon. I think he's a really a really good pick. Um, another one, any other new signings that you think we should be looking at? Yeah, for me, it's not a new signing. It's, it's actually Ivan Tony. So I've been a fan of his for a couple of years now. Always had that sort of feeling that he would be in the Premier League one day. He sort of mm. seems built. So he's, he's got pace. He's got the, the, the technique. He's got the footwork. He's, I mean, he just seems like an all-around finisher. There's a lot of sort of questions around is Tony going to cut it in the Premier League and the same questions were actually around when Bamford and Watkins came up last season the great thing about Ivan Tony is, is is his record at the championship so I know it's a different league but the fact that he's, he played 45 matches and, and he scored 31 goals and created 10 assists so that's, I mean, you're looking at 41 goal contributions in 45 games, which I just think is, is incredible. Mm. Um, he takes penalties. His ownership is probably going to start really high. So that's the one concern, would, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If he starts badly, he's going to drop in price quite quickly because he's going to be quite popular in the early part of this season. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, that is definitely something we sort of have to take into account because it's a big game a big first game against Arsenal fixtures after after Arsenal they improve they, they play Palace they play Villa and they play Brantford and Wolves so I mean pretty good fixtures I think if you combine that with the ownership he just seems like a safe option mm. um, also if he's not really performing or settling in the league around game week five Puki actually his his fixtures improve. Yes, they do massively. Yeah. So actually, just touching upon Puki, his fixtures are so good that between game week five and fifteen, he only plays one difficult game against yeah. Chelsea. Yeah, I so, saw that. It makes for a really fascinating problem, doesn't it? I think because you know you yeah. look at both of those players, and and I was looking at Tony because he's been in every one of my drafts so far. Only missed 10 of his big chances that he had last season, which is a ridiculously low wow. number, given the amount of big chances he had yeah. last time around. And then I had a look at Pookie, who I worry a little bit about because he's lost Buendia, who was his big kind of creator in chief. Yeah, yeah. But 35% of Norwich's goals last time around came from Pookie. So, of course, we know that he's got potential and we know from his Premier League time last time around that he is quite a lot of his goals all came in a block like he was quite a form player and if you were on him at the right moment that was great and then you just had to move on but that period of time for Norwich between game week five and game week 13 apart from game week nine in Chelsea is perfect for a run of fixtures and what I love is that that gives us as FPL managers time gives us time to see how Norwich settle without Buendia and just settling back into the Premier League again against really tough sides. So if we can see something in them against these really difficult teams that they've got in the early part of the season, that bodes really well for them from game week five onwards. And and like you say, you know, going for Tony early on makes sense with his fixtures, but it's an easy move from him over to Puki. Yeah. If you want to and do not, that then. Not not just Puki. You've got a few options in that sort of six, five, six 
uh, bracket that, that we can sort of wait and see on because obviously we've, we're now seeing that Rodrigo is being quite heavily used by Leeds and just behind Bamford. So although Rodrigo didn't get that much game time last season, mm. um, his, his sort of fixtures around the time of the fixture swing for Tony, it, he, they play Newcastle, West Ham, Watford, Southampton, Wolves and Norwich. So they've got a long block also. So, so it's not just pukey in a sense that you can switch to. You're not limited to one. You've potentially got a couple, couple of more assets. That's the way I'm looking yeah. on it. Because there's the Watford boys as well, of course. It's so hard to know what they're doing up top in this early part of the wow. season because they've got 10 forwards in the game. <laughs> I, I mean, I've played FPL for years. I have never, ever in my whole time seen a team with 10 forwards listed in the I game. I just think it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, surely some of them are going to... Dis- oh, well, I thought some of them were going to have disappeared before game week one, be it on loan or being sold, but they haven't yet. So we'll see if they do in the next week. But at the moment, they're all still there. But I'm looking at them thinking, well, Deeney and Josh King at five and a half million, they're mm. surely the ones that are the most likely to get game time, particularly given what Josh King said when he left Everton. So he's going somewhere to get game time. You would You would expect that that's been kind of said by Watford so I'm expecting it to be between those two Watford's fixtures are really nice to start the season they're okay they don't have the best attacking record when you compare it with say the other two that came up in Norwich and Brentford but it's not bad Um, and Deeney did spend a lot of time out injured last season so I think there's scope there to maybe move to one of those two as well depending on what we see in the early part of the season so this is what I like about the way that the FPL fixtures have gone for us this time around is that you know there seems to be some standouts from the new signings but there also seems to be some that have fixtures that don't go in their favour for a little while and so we can just afford to be a little bit more cautious and wait and then go with them but you know the ones that you've mentioned already the likes of Buendia and, and Tony I think they both make perfect sense to be jumping on them from the get-going right, game. Yeah, one. Yeah. Tony's going to love it, isn't it? Starting the first game of the Premier League season, like against oh, Arsenal. Like that is, I mean, that game's always mad anyway. Like the opening game of the season, always a bit bonkers. Like it always takes a little while to get into it. It always throws up some crazy results. I remember Liverpool and Leeds being an absolutely bonkers game. So I think, yeah, I can see Tony doing well. In terms of uh, Tony against Arsenal, I'm a little bit more confident he can perform on that first uh, tough game. Go on then, give us one more new signing that you are kind of looking at in this early part of the season. Okay, so this one is someone that I've questioned quite a lot, but it's Jaden Sancho. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, he's priced at a, a price bracket that's really interesting and it creates that conversation of, what if, what can I do with the, the, the swap of Jaden Sancho um, to Bruno? And it's, it, it's quite a lot. Um, however, I'm sort of all about Bruno. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite difficult to sort of sway away from Bruno. So I, I initially like his price. I just think he's really talented. Do you know, I, I mean, think with Sancho, I can see him having a fantastic season and I must say I think the business that United have done this summer has been fantastic like they are signing some really talented players they're in the conversation for some really good players that are strengthening the parts of their team that maybe were Mm. lacking a little bit perhaps last season and I think they are building a Premier League winning team uh, that can rival the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool so I look at Sancho and I think you have you've come from the Bundesliga which 
is a very different game. And this is the one thing that really concerns me about Jadon Sancho is that the Bundesliga and the Premier League are different. It's a lot faster pace in the Premier League. Now, as an English player, obviously, Sancho knows that. And I think he's got enough about him, given his involvement with the England squad as well, to, to be okay at the beginning part of the season. But equally, whenever I hear an FPL manager say, I'm going to go Sancho over Bruno, I kind of get a little bit of fear for them <laughs> like I kind of have this moment of thinking oh but yeah no I get that Bruno yeah. if Br- no, it's Bruno we know what he can do he's on penalties he's got there's so many additional strings to Bruno's ability to earn points for us as FPL managers and he's only got to get one goal and he's pretty much guaranteed to get the bonus points with the level of possession and everything else that he has in those underlying BPS stats. So 100%. Yeah. I have the absolute fear whenever anyone says they're going without. There have been a couple of people that I've spoken to that said they're going with both. And I don't think that's a bad thing in the early part of the season. But for me, I'm going to go Bruno knowing that if it's Sancho, it's easy to come down. It's just very easy to go. Thanks, Bruno. I've loved yeah. you for the last 18 months, but it's time for the new boy to take your this, place. But I want to see it first. I want to see yeah. Sancho bang. And when he this does, is what, I'll go with it. This is sort of my same approach. Although I, I think Sancho could be a fantastic asset this season. Look at him and think, will he get similar stats to, say, Rashford? He will do all right. I think he does okay. Um, mm. But I, th- I also think, again, like you said, it's this is not the Bundesliga uh, we have statistically stronger defences. It's also the Bruno factor. Uh, again, I, I really like the fixtures. You know, you, you can't ask for, for better United fixtures, really, can no, you? No, you can't. Uh, but the fear of, not just the fear of Bruno, I think it's the fact that I, I, I know we're going on sort of tangent about Bruno, but I, I feel like he's he's such a good asset and I feel like he's he's being so undervalued by yeah I do people I don't think Um, you can talk about Sancho though without talking about Bruno I think the the conversation is you have to have both of them in that conversation because whilst you and and this is the dilemma that most FPL managers are having right now is that you can build a much nicer looking FPL team if it's Sancho over Bruno but I know if I do that as soon as the deadline passes on game week one I'm going to regret the decision to leave out Bruno Fernandes. And so that's, that's where my issue lies. I think with Sancho, I do think that he will have a great season and I do think he will be the player that Manchester United fans want him to be. I think he will, but do I think he'll do it in game weeks one to five potentially, Mm -hmm. but could it just take him a little bit longer to settle into Premier League potentially. And then game week seven onwards, those Manchester United fixtures are awful. For like six weeks, they've got like all of the top six and and Leicester. It's really difficult run of fixtures that they go into then. And would I want to own Bruno and Sancho and Luke Shaw or one of the other Mm. defenders? Because most people are talking about going in with a Manchester United defender and then one of the midfields. I don't think I want to own multiple of them during that period. But am I happy to own Bruno during it? Absolutely. Because of the additional points that he can easily get. Can he get a penalty against other clubs absolutely can he nick a goal yes of course he can can Sancho do it I think he can but I'm yet to know he can and until I know he can I want to stick with my FPL safe bet it scares me slightly because obviously I'm a Chelsea fan but last season you can imagine what happened I we bought Havertz we bought Ziyech we bought Werner Werner in, yeah in came the double Werner and Havertz so for me I feel slightly scarred um, by that from last season and I think that's sort of stopping me from making mm. that um, 
I must Such. say, I dodged a Verna-shaped bullet this time last year in that I stuck to my guns through absolute fear, to be honest, but I stuck to my guns that I wanted to own Kane over Verna. And I, it, in the end was the right thing. And the reason I did it is exactly the same reason as I'm not doing Sancho. It's because I want to see them play in a Premier League game before I yeah. commit exactly, to, yeah. to the price that they've, they've got to pay. And I just, you know, with Werner, it was the same conversation, right? Because with Werner last year, it was like, well, I can have Kane instead. And Kane is a tried and tested Premier League player, the best player in his club. Is Werner the best player at Chelsea? Debatable at the time. Mm. Um, and is he tested in the Premier League? Well, no, he isn't. Can I easily go from Werner to Kane if I want to? Yes. Is Kane going to drop in price? Well, no, because nobody's really owning him because everyone's on Werner. But could Werner yeah. drop in price? Yes. And that's where I kind of was. So in my head, that's sort of the same policy that I'm taking with Sancho. And it, it is a bit, I would like to be braver and go, no, I think I think Sancho's going to start well. But sensible FPL manager in me says, yeah. start with yeah. Bruno and come down to Sancho if it turns out that Sancho is going to start the season with an absolute bang. Yeah, exactly. And I think staying um, grounded during the excitement of these new transfers is, is very important because, like you yeah. said, if if Sancho is great and he starts firing, it's an easy switch uh, from Bruno to Sancho if Bruno isn't performing. So, so yeah, so that's why I've added Sancho. But, God, just, just Bruno's just really edging it at the moment. Yeah. A cautious ad, that one. What about those then that have been performing during pre-season? So those that have been um, performing well in friendlies, performing well at the Copa America, performing well at the Euros, performing well at the Olympics. Anyone catching your eye in those different kind of theatres? Yeah, you I think someone we've already mentioned, actually, and someone that really excites me looking ahead to this this year and the price is just probably massively, uh, massively underpriced. And that player is Luke Shaw. Mm. Um, so, I mean, there was there was some injury doubts. I think he, he came out and short broke his ribs and, and was playing through it uh, for England. But then I saw some images a few days ago of him training with Maguire. Um, so I think he probably starts, especially because Tellers is out for a couple of months as well. Yeah. And um, five the five point five price tag for me is 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 just something that I can't ignore because he sh- he could he should be arguably. Six six five. I mean, I'd still pay that uh, for, for sure. I don't know about you, but but yeah. I mean, in terms of stats amongst defenders, uh, he was top five for crosses and successful crosses last season. He came second uh, behind Trent for chances mm. created seventy two. So just six short, uh, six ahead. Sorry, of Robertson. So some great form, form from the Euros and post some great starts. I just think, I just think with the addition of Varane the form from the Euros going into some great fixtures. It's, it's really hard to, to not own Shaw. I totally agree with you on this one. I had Luke Shaw last season and I must admit, he was a player that I bought in for a couple of weeks. It was at that period where it's like, right, I need a defender. Man United have got some nice fixtures coming up. Luke Shaw's got some attacking threat and the underlying stats actually look really good. I'm going to go Shaw. And he never left. Because he came once he came in for those few weeks, I then kept looking at him thinking, you're doing everything right. Why would I take yeah. you out? So I just never did. And he was one that I was expecting them to price. I was really surprised to not see him at the same price point as Van Dyke, given Van Dyke has had a whole season off with injury and doesn't really have the same attacking 
threat that Luke Shaw does. Yeah. If he'd have come in at six with the Manchester City boys, that would have been fair to me, and I would have paid six Perfect. million for Luke Shaw. Yeah. Um, so when he came in at five point five, I was like, oh, hello, gods of FPL. Yeah. <laughs> this one feels like an absolute bargain. Actually, it was a similar him. thought I had when I had Bruno's price because I was expecting him to be twelve point five. So when he came in at twelve, I was like, oh. Feel That's like I've really saved good. a million yeah. on my Manchester United players that I definitely wanted because of the fixtures. So I am not too concerned actually about the ribs. I think I was a little bit at first when they first mm. announced that he broke his ribs. I thought, oh, good grief, that's a problem. Maybe I'll go Wambasaka instead. But with Tellers out, and he, like you say, he has been pictured back in training and he's been pictured laughing and joking around with Harry Maguire in training as well. Yeah, so it's not yeah. like he's been pictured kind of like watching training or limping around he does actually seem to be properly training so I'm not too concerned about it I think if he's available to play Ollie will play him mm. so I am this one I am fully 100%, on 100%. He's, he was so impressive for England in the Euros yeah. he was so impressive at the back end of last season for for Man United yeah he's he's a phenomenal talent I really like Great him asset. Yeah, yeah absolutely who's next I it's a really interesting one, actually, Sam, and one that you probably hold closer to your heart than any mm. of those, and it's Harry Kane. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this one's quite easy to talk about with Harry Kane. We know how good he is. He's, mm. he's arguably the best best striker in the world, and I, and I think and I truly believe that he, that he that he is. It's interesting because there's a lot of debate. Uh, there's a lot of debate with drafts. There's a lot of debate. Um, with, with the move to Spurs or City, how is this going to mm. affect our drafts? Now, it's it's important to know that Harry Kane is world-class. Whatever team, whichever team he plays for, 100%. Spurs, City, it, it just, it doesn't matter. He, he is, a, totally he's, he's a machine. He, he, he created 37 goal contributions in 35 matches last season, and that was for Spurs. Mm. If anything, he was better at assisting than he was actually at scoring goals. Like that was how yeah. I viewed it. Like, yeah, I know he got more goals than he did assists, but actually, it was his ability to build play that made him world class for me last time around. Oh, just, just amazing, isn't it? And at what he can do. And I'm at a big sort of cross crossroads with Kane, where if Kane does move to City, he's you have to get him in. But then I, I, I thought I also thought if Kane stays at Spurs, I also have to get him in. So. It, it, it all comes down to fixtures, I suppose. And, and, and we obviously know that there's a really interesting first fixture for Spurs against City. So hmm. and there's a chance, the chance is that if, if Kane does move to um, City, which I personally hope he doesn't, um, I think he, he could miss that game anyway. So, yeah, my understanding is that regardless of what happens here, he won't play game week one um, because obviously he isn't yet back in training with Spurs. Spurs have already said they won't play him in game week one because he's going to get that off as extra recovery time. Um, in terms of you know the the Euros and he's been on holidays, just come back. As far as Kane's concerned, where when it comes to Spurs' point of view, if he's still a Spurs player when the window closes, he will not be playing in game week one. But I would expect him back game week two, three, four. But yeah, of course, yeah. there's all the rhetoric around what's happening with him at the moment and not returning to training. But is due back with Spurs at the end of the week. So let's see what happens there. If he goes to Manchester City, knowing Daniel Levy as I do, there is absolutely no way on this earth that he sells Harry Kane to him to play against us to in play, week yeah. one. That won't happen. And I think, it will yeah. be delayed until after after that fixture so that if he can't play. So that leaves us as in terms of FPL with a bit of a quandary, doesn't it? Because what do you do? 
you know that you're probably going to want to own Harry Kane, regardless of whether he's at Spurs or Manchester City. You're probably going to want to own him. Now, the first fixture rule it out. So we're basically starting from game week two. I would yeah. argue that Spurs have the better fixtures, apart from when Manchester City play Norwich. Spurs do, have yeah. the better yeah. fixtures for the first, for the next four game weeks. Yeah. Um, my next three, definitely, because Spurs have got Wolves, Watford and Palace. Then after that, there's two London derbies. Well, I wouldn't put it past Kane to score definitely against Arsenal. He loves it. Against Chelsea, much more difficult because their defence is as, so good. As a Chelsea fan, I think in terms of London derbies, I think form really does go out the window, doesn't oh, it? 100%. It's mental, isn't it? London derbies yeah. just go crazy. Anything can happen. So those Spurs fixtures then, and when you look at Spurs beyond game week 13, the fixtures are incredible. So in my mind, if Kane stays at Spurs, I want him. If Kane goes to Man City, apart from being heartbroken, I'm also going to want him. But I'm probably not going to want him till maybe, I'll probably hold fire because I don't know that he will go. Will he go and start straight away against Norwich in game week two if he goes just after game week one? Don't know. Maybe he comes off the bench. I don't I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It, it feels like yeah, it might yeah. be a bit tight timing-wise. So then it gets into that slightly difficult period of fixtures. But then their fixtures turn for the better after game week four and the international break. So maybe I can wait it out with Kane at City for a couple more weeks before I want to bring him mm-hmm. in. So then the dilemma is, well, what do we do then with that? Knowing that we're definitely going to want him, do we start the season with money in the bank, knowing then we can go from, say, Calvert-Lewin to Kane? Or do we just go... No, I'm not going to leave four and a half million pounds in the bank. That's bonkers. I'm going to invest it in my team and wildcard when I want to bring Kane in. I've created a, a draft with Kane and without Kane. And, mm. and obviously for me, um, in, in terms of, because I like the thought of putting Kane, Trent, Bruno and Salah in one draft. Oh, that's Three, expensive. Yeah. <laughs> but if I could show you my team, I would. Um, I'll have to send that one to you later. But it looks really good. There's but enough 4.5 value across the no, squad. I think there is. Yeah. It. The only thing it sort of prevents, and, and this is this is the sort of big deciding factor, is, is that it prevents access to the seven for me anyway. It, yeah, it does. Of, it prevents access to the 7.5 million pound bracket, which is my first problem. And my second mm-hmm. problem is it stops me from going to uh, Luke Shaw. Um, and right. I'm a huge fan of needing, you know, wanting Luke Shaw. And I'm sure I could have a play around um, with that, but for me, I think wherever Kane is, having him in, in, in my team is something that I'm seriously considering. And It would be really so, yeah, helpful for us if Spurs just sold him to Paris, wouldn't it? Because then we wouldn't have to worry about fitting in another yeah. £12.5 million player. But I do think that with Kane, at some point, you're going to have to try and fit him in. And, and mm. there were a lot of FPL managers last season who tried to go without Kane because they started the season with Werner. And even then, he wasn't so expensive last season. But just finding the budget to go up from Werner to Kane as he escalated as quickly as he did was a challenge. And this season, the way that we're setting out our squads means that we're probably looking to go from Calvert-Lewin or somebody in and around that 8 million bracket. Well, that's even harder. So you've kind of got to you've got to think really carefully about Kane. And I am really struggling, if I'm honest, as to how and how I manage the Kane situation. So I think Mm. for me, I am just going to go without him um, because I don't feel like I have the knowledge to know what's going to happen to him or with him. And because the transfer window this time around goes beyond game week one, I don't think we will have an answer by game no. one I'll be very think, surprised if we do I think it's a lose-lose situation 
going in without Kane could trigger the wild card. Yeah, um, which absolutely. I've been looking. Although a lot of his managers used the wild card early last year, I just feel like there's, there's some huge fixture swings around game week 13 that a lot of managers need to look at because yeah. we're talking I totally agree. Leicester. Yeah. I mean, I like I really like to hold my first wild card as long as possible. So um, last season, I used it on the last day that it was possibly able to be used. And I love that because it gives you so much scope later on in the season. Um, and this year, I'm looking at game week seven and I'm looking at game week 13. They both look really mm, good moments really fixture changes and there's also another set of fixture changes in game week 18 if you haven't already looked that far have a little look those three windows to me feel like the perfect wildcard moments and it will just depend on whether my squad really needs it by those points as to which one of them ends up being a wildcard yeah but I can see that first international break being a difficult period in terms of deciding what you do about Kane and it might be I think my plan is to roll transfer after game week one have two and now I can then have three transfers one game week for just one point here and use that as a means to get Kane which means having a middle priced midfielder who I'm prepared to sacrifice to boost Calvert-Lewin up it's at least important to have a plan in place for Kane and I, yeah. I just don't think we should be winging Kane it's mm. just not a uh, it's not a possibility is it to can't just Kane, ignore but... him unfortunately no. Uh, as much as I would like to close my eyes and wake up when the transfer window is closed with Harry Kane still wearing a Spurs shirt, you can't ignore it. it, it the situation, yeah. however it pans out from an FPL perspective, is going to be massive for us as managers to work out what we're going to do. Um, we've kind of already hinted about international breaks. Now, the first international break happens at game week four. I think that kind of makes sense in terms of chunking of fixtures, which is something I really like to do in my planning. I like to kind of go, right, first set of fixtures, let's look at them as a block and then the next block and the next block. So this first period of time, up until the first international break then, if you sort the ticket for game weeks one to four, we've got some really interesting teams that kind of sit at the top. And right at the top of the defensive ticker, if you sort it, is Brighton. And I wanted to get your view on Brighton here because they've got no Lamptey going into the season because he's still injured. And this is slightly concerning for me, given how long this injury has been going on for and how many times we've kind of been promised him to come back. And he just hasn't quite made it each time. And they've sold Ben White. Now, Ben White, and I don't know how you feel about this, Lewis, but for me, Ben White was the Brighton defence. He was the reason why they were so much more solid in 2021 to what they were in 1920. Yeah, I, I do feel uh, Ben White is is quite a huge factor in, you know, he's he's sorely after now. He's, he was by Arsenal. They were quite aggressive in the approach and they, they saw the sort of quality that Ben White had and they Arsenal needed that. You know, they needed someone like Ben White. Um, and it just shows how good Ben White is. In terms of Brighton, Brighton as a team and being top of the fixture, it's great. Um, in terms of defence, that's where I think we should be looking still. I just think Potter has a really good setter. I think he 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 makes the players he makes the players play. I think he's, mm. he's just he's he's got an all around very defensive attitude. Although he create and create a lot and miss a lot. Um, I just like the attitude of the, the back line in general. And I think Lamptey going out doesn't really affect the Brighton defence, which is which is fine. It just affects, it affected my draft because I really wanted Lamptey. Yeah, I had in it in my first back, draft. Yeah, I just think in terms of the, the back line, you know, they're arguably the, the third best defence in the league. So in terms of that, we although Ben White has gone, we're still probably looking at quite a good defence and cheap 
They've got some really cheap assets, so I'd be looking at Sanchez um, until the first wild card at least, 4.5 million. So, yeah, I'd be looking at Sanchez. I wouldn't necessarily double up because, like you said, Ben White could have a huge impact. But I do like the idea of Duncan Veltman as well. Um, so I wouldn't be massively put off Brighton defence going into the start of the season, Tom. It's tough, I think, because the fixtures are perfect. And... Sanchez is going to be so highly owned that if you decide to go with a different goalkeeper, having one of the defenders does make a lot of sense just in terms of the fixtures look good for clean sheets. And if they do keep them and if they do remain solid, which we hope that they do, not having one is going to hurt. So at the price point that they are, particularly with somebody like Veltman, at 4.5 million, knowing that Lamptey is not available, so rotation isn't really a thing it does make a lot of sense to go with him. He's yeah. got some attacking threat as well. So I think even with the loss of Ben White, and even though I do worry that that might impact their ability to keep clean sheets, I still think with the fixtures the way they are, it would be a miss to not start the season with a Brighton defender. 100%. I think the value is there, um, and I think the fixtures are there, so why not? What about Everton then? Because if you sort the fixture ticker, the full one, taking into account um, defence and forwards then Everton sit absolutely top of that. So, of course, we've got the players that we know and love in seasons gone by, the likes of Calvert-Lewin, the likes of Luca Dean. But is there Mm. anybody else at Everton that we could kind of invest in? Or are we just saying you go with those guys because the fixtures are so nice? I think Everton are a really interesting um, team. Interesting is in they're very unpredictable. Um, Mm. Now, we know the fixtures are great, which they are. You know, you you really can't ask for better fixtures. No. And in terms of other options... I don't feel like there's there's many that I'd personally go for. Now, although uh, Pickford, he could be a long-term holder, set and forget keeper, you know, great fixtures, chances of shots. I just think the the the, the double act of Dean and DCL I'd be looking at. And for me, I feel they come as a pair. They both complement what each other are trying to do in terms of attacking returns. Yeah. When we look at the stats from last season, we'll see that amongst defenders, Dean was third for crossing fifth for successful crosses and fourth for big chances created. Now we combine that with DCL, who was first amongst forward for headed goals and who was second inside the box. Almost makes a lot of headed. sense, doesn't it? Yeah, they just fit. And I think it's also interesting that without Ricardson early on at the Olympics, I saw Dean score a direct free kick in a preseason match the other day. And I don't know if you saw that. You I did see, that yeah. It was just an absolute rocket. So I think in terms of the set pieces, we're now looking at Dean, knowing that he he has set pieces. We know that Dean has a great, great hit, a great mm. dead ball. You know, DCL has this incredible um, threat from set play, which mm. will also be created by UPD. As a pair, although I've questioned it sometimes myself, I've questioned the fact that do we need the pair? Do we need both? And I always come back to the fact that they complement each other and that if we saw a goal, there's a high chance that both of them could be involved. Yeah. Um, so that's think, where I'm at with Everton. I think the way Benitez plays as well, we're likely to see Calvert-Lewin playing exactly where he wants to be. We're likely to see the, the width of the pitch being used with but with Richarlison's coming slightly more inside when he gets back from the Olympics and is available again. So I suspect that Benitez's style of play will massively suit both Dina and Dominic Calvert-Lewin and that they could be yeah. picks that we don't want to sell and that is my one thing going back to Kane for a second Dominic Calvert-Lewin is currently in a lot of FPL managers he's the make way for Kane and we could end up in a situation here where by the time we get through game week four game week five oh, 
Jonathan we've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's having a fantastic start to the season. If Everton do what they did last year anyway, and then we've got to try to bring in Kane for Tony, and then we're, you know, we're looking mm. at a lot more money. So it's really tough. Now, we've spoken about Aston Villa quite a lot on this pod, and they were going to be the other team that I was going to ask you about, because they have three great fixtures and then a big fixture shift. But So I don't want to go back over the midfielders, but I do want your thoughts on Martinez, because obviously he was the keeper of choice for most FPL managers last season. Should he be again? This, this is a really interesting conversation in itself. He's arguably one of the best in the world at the moment, because, that, you know, because his sort of hype from leaving Arsenal to Villa has been quite incredible, and um, what he's achieved obviously with Argentina and, and, and Messi. But in terms of his price, I just want to start his price. I think if he was 0.5 cheaper, if he was 5 million, yeah. I would be inclined to keep him as a sat and forget. Yeah. I just feel 1 million more than the likes of Bachman from Watford and Sanchez from Brighton is, is just a little bit too much. And we know how good Martinez is. Um, I also just want to question slightly the Aston Villa back line. Now, you know that I'm a Chelsea fan. <laughs> I absolutely love John Terry. He did a lot of coaching work with the Aston Villa back line, and in particular, Mings. It's a very interesting situation because a lot of people would shrug the John, John Terry situation um, off. Mm. Um, but in, in terms of me being a fan of Terry, I've seen a lot of stuff that he's posted, a lot of work around the Villa back line. So that makes me question it slightly, um, combined with the fact Without Grealish, they did drop off defensively, I think, in terms of stats. So I think in terms of the defence and the back line, um, although I love Target, I like Cash, I think Martinez would probably be the only player that I would potentially think about. But it's just that price. It's it's just the price that sort of puts me off massively, actually. It's really put me off. So, yeah, so yeah, that's where I stand with, with Villa. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I totally agree with you. I think 5.5 million... Whilst I wasn't surprised, I was like, it's going to be really hard to own Martinez now because he's just that little bit too much money, particularly when there are so many really nice 4.5 options. So if I go Martinez, I'm going to have to either pair him with Steer, which is fine, I can do that, or I'm going to have to pair him with another goalie from another side. But I'm still going to have to spend 10 million on goalkeepers, whereas Mm. I could spend 9 million on two rotating 4.5s or I could spend even less than that if I go for like the yeah. two Watford boys and just have a Watford keeper every week. So it just makes it really difficult to pick Martinez. And I actually come from a, a family of Chelsea fans. So my dad and my brother are massive Chelsea fans. And they said exactly the same about John Terry. That'll be a big loss uh, to the coaching staff at Villa to not have him there anymore from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, I just want to all just quickly add to Martinez that although I won't have him, there is not a week that goes by that I won't be thinking he's going to get a 10 pointer. And one thing I will say is that last season, I stubbornly said, I'm not making a keeper change. I'm not making a keeper change. It feels like something I would do on wildcard. I don't want to spend points on it. And it massively cost me last year to not have Martinez because the clean sheets and the save points and the bonus points, it just got all a bit too much, particularly when a lot of managers also had the double up with a Villa defender as well. So this season, it is something that I am increasingly aware of is that it's not a problem to make a keeper change. If the keeper change is your biggest issue in your team, which mine was a couple of times, then that should have been the decision that I made as opposed to strengthening another area. I should have not been afraid to make that keeper change. And I think going into 21, 22, 
that is something that I will do. One more thing I just wanted to say with the flexibility on Martinez. And I think if it does get to a point where he is hauling every single week, I will have the flexibility to just bring him in. I'll just leave him. I think that's the so, right yeah. thing. It's it's yeah. that, isn't it? It's knowing that if you need him, he's there. Yeah. And yes, yeah. you might have to sacrifice your second goalkeeper. And I think that was the thing is that to bring him in last season, it was kind of I'd have to make two changes in keeper strategy. So it was problematic. But this season, mm-hmm. I'm very much aware that if I need to just change my keepers, I'll just change my keepers and not be afraid to do it. Right. Yeah. One more question then before I let you go. I think it will be probably the shortest answer that you've ever given, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Game week one, captaincy picks. Is it just Salah? This is one of those moments where I can try and act really exciting and really fun and give you so many other options. I think some people try to differentiate differentiate a bit too much in terms of the best pick. Um, and I think there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Salah, uh, not only does he have to be in your team, um, and I've seen a couple without him on worried straight away but I think he has to be the captain doesn't he um, he, he does for me I mean I did some reading for a, a video that we've done about Salah on opening day he's never not scored in any of his games for Liverpool on opening day wow. and so yeah for me you have to own him and not only do you have to own him you have to captain him and to be honest I've said this a couple of times now I won't be at all surprised if there's a lot of triple captains out there on him in this game week as well because of his mm-hmm. record on the opening day of a season so and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. There's always scope sometimes for triple captaining a single game week player. But hey, that is oh, a whole sure. a whole nother, a whole nother pod <laughs> about when to use a triple captain. So that's it for this week's Scout the Game Week. I will be back next time to look back on game week one and ahead to game week two. Isn't it great to have FPL back?